You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hahn. I want to remind people, there is no award for coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares. And Dan Weeder. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm David Haw from 670 to score the Mullion Haw Show every morning. 5.30 to 10. Dan Wiederer from the Chicago Tribune covers the Bears at Hallis Hall. We are talking to you in the aftermath of the Bears' latest loss. They haven't won a game since October 24th, the latest of 28-19 loss to the Packers. We gave you our instant reaction. We've had some time to digest it. Dan, you've been up at Hallis Hall, and we heard from David Montgomery today. We heard from Jalen Johnson. We heard from uh, Equinemius St. Brown and, of course, Matt Eberflus. I think this is a team in desperate need of some time off. It's good that they're getting away. What did you What did you take away from how the Bears were processing the latest defeat? My takeaway comes directly from Jalen Johnson, who said, I know I can't lose on my bye week, so I'm looking forward to going 1-0 this week. So, so Jalen's got himself a victory already. He's headed back to Fresno, California. I expect most of the players on this roster to be uh, kind of switching gears and going in a, a, a different path and, and getting that decompression time, that reset, and trying to get themselves ready uh, to, 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 to get going for the finishing stretch here. Because as we've mentioned more than once, the, these final four games are important for a team that's got to squeeze a lot of meaning out of their development as they try to at least get a tone set in the right direction for 2023. Physically beaten up, mentally drained. I'm sure it's been a difficult slog because here we are, they're 13 games into the season, finally getting to the bye week, which is probably the latest that any of them have ever had to wait for them as NFL players. Yeah. And it's the equivalent of a college season. So everybody's ready for a little bit of a break. Let's take care of some housekeeping measures so from what I understand, Dan Equinemius St. Brown was not available Sunday. He was involved in that big interception. Everybody has debated um, whose responsibility or fault it was for that interception. We have become a citywide uh, uh, of ex- city full of, of receiving experts talking about route trees and stems <laughs> and bursts and breaks. I feel like I'm back at uh, 
uh, football camp in, in, uh, as a high school sophomore. But I've heard a lot about route running today. What did Equinemius St. Brown say about his role in that big interception? <laughs> well, there's a couple interesting parts to this, David. The first one being that, that Equinemius St. Brown basically just said, look, I ran, I ran a curl route and, and Jair Alexander uh, made a great break on it, right? He read it quickly and, and made a break and made a good play. And Equinemius St. Brown wishes he had been capable of making more of an effort of getting the pass at least turned into an incompletion more than anything else. The other thing that he shared, Jair Alexander after the game uh, was pretty direct in his criticism of EQ and basically saying he was pretty slow out of his break. I knew it was coming by the way he runs his routes. It was a pretty easy play to make because you know the the the, 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 the break was was pretty slow and I was able to, to read it and jump it. And Equinemius St. Brown, who's a former teammate of Jair Alexander in Green Bay, so that he got an apology text from Jair Alexander before he even read the comments that Jair Alexander made Sunday afternoon saying, hey, sorry, I didn't mean to, to throw you under the bus. But Jair Alexander wasn't the only one to throw EQ St. Brown under the bus because his head coach and his quarterback did as well. Uh, and so that was just kind of a, an interesting footnote on that whole thing. But there's a difference. I think, okay, we can debate and, and talk about Justin Fields and Matt Eberflus being publicly uh, a, a critical of, of, a, of, of a wide receiver who they feel like should have made a better play. I think that's a one issue. The other thing is that J.R. Alexander called him a name. I mean, he called him a scrub. And I think that's what – Did he – I didn't say – I didn't say – okay, yes. he, did, he did use that he word. Okay. Him a scrub. And when you do that, I think that, you know, we all can agree <laughs> here on this podcast that name calling is really – uh, unnecessary and unprofessional. So I think what are you that, referring to? What, what I'm, I'm referring to Jared Alexander calling an ex-teammate a scrub. Um, and I don't think there's any place for that. So I think you can be critical of somebody or you can push back at something like that. And, you know, I think that's what the conversation was. So I was glad that Equinemius St. Brown faced the music because I did want to hear his side of it. Um, because I do think that, Dan, it's rare that you hear from the quarterback of of the Bears or of any NFL team and the coach come down so quickly publicly on a player who didn't do his job in an interception where the responsibility is almost always shared. Can you imagine if this was like 2014 and it was Jake <laughs> Jay Cutler sitting at that podium throwing a receiver under the bus and what the what the reaction would be in this city. Look, it was uh, I, look, I, I'm all for forthright, candid, real talk about what happens on a football field. I think it helps everyone get answers. I think that there is this code in the NFL that's silly at times where it's like, oh, man, you can't ever criticize a, a player or a teammate uh, in the public forum because it's going to hurt their feelings. This is a game of of <laughs> of cutthroat assassin men. Right. And, and if you can't take direct criticism on things that people would say to your face and have it said publicly, then I don't know that this is the, the league for you or the business for you. And so I'm always okay with it, right? I, th I think that if it's handled properly and it's handled with respect, that it's not a big deal. And I think in this case, it was. It was just an explanation of what went wrong on why Justin Fields let that ball go and what the play was supposed to look like. And and, and look, like Matt Eberflus addressed it again on Monday, David, and we'll get more into more of this in our QB1 segment, but just like when, when you're challenging Justin Fields to make 
trust throws. You cannot also then be worried about him getting into being uh, creating habits of hesitance, right? Because he doesn't trust the supporting cast. And so um, it's notable in this situation because you want the next time that that play is called and the next time that route is run for Justin to do the same thing, hit the top of the drop, make the throw, see the lane that's there and trust that the, the guy he's throwing to is going to make the play for him. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. That's just the way it goes in this league. Those are good points, but it's funny that I, 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 I chuckled when you mentioned the, the Jake Cutler example. Imagine back in the <laughs> Cutler era, which wasn't that long ago, if Jake Cutler had thrown two interceptions in the final three minutes and then yeah. went to the podium and publicly criticized or called out his running back for not running hard enough and his wide receiver for not coming out of a break the right way. He would have spent the week, if not the month, criticized publicly as a guy that was not a good teammate. I understand the difference, but I also think it typifies and reflects just how many people want to rally around Justin Fields waiting for him and and are excited about his potential based on what he has seen. There is a huge difference right now in how we are evaluating Justin Fields based on how Chicago has evaluated quarterbacks in the past. Two, two interceptions in the fourth quarter of a rivalry loss to the Packers in which you led by 13 points and got outscored 18 to nothing in the fourth quarter, right? Like put, put, put that whole stage into context on, on what Jay Cutler would have dealt with if that was him. But to your point, like Justin's at a different stage of his development. He has absolutely filled the tank of hope in the city to a point where it's overflowing. And now people just want to give him the benefit of the doubt in every way, shape and form. Justin better take advantage of this because there will come a day, year, two years, down the road where that benefit of the doubt is going to recede so much. It always does. It erodes. And until you establish yourself as, as kind of an every week star quarterback and an assassin in those key moments, uh, you, you know, <laughs> you, you're going to be judged by those things. And, and right now he's being given a free pass for a lot of things. Uh, and, and it'll be interesting to see how that changes as time goes on. I also think it's interesting, okay, that Jay Cutler's going back to the past. It seems like longer ago than it actually was. But in the current day, <laughs> in, the, in the current comparison, I think it's impossible to, to not look at what we just saw happen in New York with the Jets. Zach Wilson, who was not and is not on the level of, of Justin Fields in terms of what he's accomplished and, and the promise that his performance has implied, but I do think that you have an example where a young franchise quarterback, a guy who was drafted, uh, I think, nine picks ahead of Justin Fields, he basically gave a one-word answer in a post-game press conference that basically said he wasn't really feeling bad because um, he didn't feel like he let the defense down, and it was magnified into something maybe it wasn't, something he didn't mean to say, maybe twisted out of context, he lost his job. Now, he didn't do enough to keep it, right. but I do think that – it just also, to me, when you take a step back and you look at what this market has become in Chicago, it, to me, reflects just how many people are, frankly, in support of this young quarterback, and they want so badly to see him succeed. Well, let's be clear. If Zach Wilson had 22 plays a season of at least 25 yards like Justin Fields has, the, 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 the leash would be longer in New York. If he was capable of producing 50-yard touchdowns every other week, yeah, the sure. leash would be longer in New York. And so you buy some of that with your playmaking ability. And Justin Fields has bought some of this with his playmaking ability. And there's no question right now. It's indisputable that the guy is a, a playmark playmaking magician. And now uh, I think it's fair 
for us to say, and we'll, you know, like, is Justin Fields at a really, really good spot in his development? Absolutely. Does Justin Fields have a long, long way to go? Absolutely. Both those things can be true at the same time. And, and honestly, before uh, we move on, I just want to get this, this straight. What you were saying, I mean, I know it pertained only to Jair Alexander and Equinemius St. Brown, but you should never call a teammate names. You should treat teammates with respect. That's what you were saying? I think that kind of goes without saying. <laughs> Thank you. In my view. So, all right, let's move on to our QB1 breakdown. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Okay, defining moment. Dan, I think that, okay, I know you're going to, uh, I'm going to go first because I think you have, uh, we're both kind of looking at the same one probably. Um, I'll look at that interception because I, I think that there are a couple of things in play here. That it was with two minutes and 50 seconds to go roughly, the Bears are, are driving just 20 to 19. They're in a position where this is where I think that as we dissect it and we hear people kind of break it down, the one, the one thing I think that is interesting and in, in what you alluded to is that he did throw the interception. Alexander did kind of read the play from the beginning, and it wasn't a good route. It wasn't an acceptable route from an NFL wide receiver. He's 6'5". He should have boxed him out more. Use the body to your advantage. But Fields never gave the cornerback any other indication that he was going to do anything but throw the football to – Equinemia St. Brown to that receiver on the dig route looked more like a curl than a dig, but that's we're splitting hairs here. But I think that when you, when you look at what could have been done differently, the defining moment, certainly in a game that had so many, so many other great highlights and was his best passing game, except for the final three minutes. If you can do that, if you can, you know, separate the two, J.R. Alexander was able to jump that route because it was a bad route, but also because Justin Fields locked in, on his primary receiver in a way that I think he'll get better at not doing. And he'll learn from these kind of mistakes. You, you see the fourth quarter interceptions piling up. The numbers aren't good, but he can grow from a situation like this. It doesn't have to define him. It may have defined his uh, moment uh, or his game on Sunday only because it prevented him from winning it and checking that box for a fourth quarter comeback but it doesn't have to define him moving forward as far as a fourth quarter quarterback because he can learn from this, and I think that he will. 
Well, I'm not going to belabor the point on the actual interception, but I'm going to take this a step further because of the things that you just mentioned. It's the fact that the Bears have had the ball in four consecutive field starts with a chance to go down and tie the game or take the lead. And they've they've gotten, as I wrote in my column for Monday morning at ChicagoTribune.com, they got the golden sombrero. Whiff, 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 right? When you strike out four times in a row, you get the golden sombrero, and that's where they're at. I don't think that you can uh, allow Justin Fields off the hook on all of his mistakes, even when feeling optimistic and courage and hopeful about his development he has a 53.8 rating overall right now david it passer rating in the fourth quarter six of his 10 interceptions have come in the final period and here's the other thing that 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 is just hard to wrap your brain around 10 times a season the bears offense has taken over possession with six minutes or less left in the game with a chance to tie the score or go ahead and their only scoring drive was against the houston texans in week three it was a four play zero yard field goal drive in which they didn't throw a pass so you do the math on that it's just a a, a budding uh, stack of evidence that tells you that there's a trend here that needs to be reversed. Matt Eberflus was asked today about some of that, and we'll get into that in a minute. But I, I'd, I'd be curious to get your reaction of those numbers where you have the ball 10 times in the fourth quarter, six minutes less uh, or, or less, and, and you can't get it done. I, I would want to study that, and I would want to talk to people about who know better than sports writers or sportscasters or fans who watch from afar. I want to know internally what's going on and if there's anything that's happening in the fourth quarter of games that is changing the dynamic or changing the focus or changing anything because Justin Fields is as exciting of a player as there is in the NFL for the first three quarters of any given Sunday. I think we have seen that this year, and the takeaway from this season will be that he is is explosive, and he's had a historic run, and all those things can be true. But the numbers you just cited are enough for me, if I'm Ryan Poles or Matt Eberflus or Luke Getze, to want to get together to one of these things after a season to figure out what happens in the fourth quarter. How can we refresh things when we hit the fourth quarter let's go back to sunday against the packers they were ahead 19 to 10 and something changed whether it was getsy being too safe and conservative whether it was fields who maybe you know threw the passes in a way that he wasn't making decisions earlier in the game i don't know what it is but those numbers are so stark that i would think that you would want to they study everything in professional sports we have a you know, heck, the scores revive the economy for quarterback <laughs> experts every week um, on, a, on a daily basis. So I think that you can study anything. I would want to study that. Well, it's a good point, and there's a lot to, to kind of zoom in on and analyze. And look, whenever we list these stats about a Bears offense, naturally they're going to be reflective of Justin Fields. But they're in all 11 – number that we're giving here. And we understand that these things should improve as the offensive line gets sturdier, as the pass catchers get better, as there's more depth, as there's more go-to guys, as there's chances to, to make plays. I think Justin has made improvement. I think in those two situations yesterday, both in the go-ahead and uh, game-tying and go-ahead situation, and, and uh, even when they were behind by two scores after the Packers got that touchdown and the two-point conversion, he operated in the two-minute situation with a, a level of command that was encouraging and promising. But then you make the two mistakes, right? And you can't erase 
erase those mistakes. There's no eraser that says, oh, well, it was all good except for that. Uh, and so they, they've just got to continue to work through this. I, I, I will say this because we did have a chance, and, and our good friend Mark Potash from the, the Chicago Sun-Times asked Matt Eberflus about this very topic, right, in, in terms of what Justin's responsibility is on those fourth quarter late game uh, result deciding situations. And there was a, a pretty good back and forth here that I think is worth listening to. How much of the inability to finish these games is on Justin? Because, like, with the Packers yesterday, they they gave a lot of credit to Rodgers for, for their you know those last few drives, even though most of it was on the ground. It was just Rodgers being in the huddle and, you know, setting up the, the defense and knowing what's going on. And I know they're at opposite ends of their careers, but a lot of times the quarterback is seen in those situations as more than just one of 11. So at this point, given his he's early in his career, at what point, how much of finishing is really on Justin making it happen? Well, it's the nature of the position, right? I mean, that's what it is. You know, the quarterback, you know, gets a lot of things that are put on him, you know, in terms of praise and everything thing when everybody's blocking in front of them, clean pocket, you know, the receiver's running the correct route and all the positivity that a lot of that goes to the quarterback, you know, uh, the, the, the media puts it there, the fans put it there and all that, but really it's all 11 guys and it's the same thing with the criticism, right? It all goes to the quarterback. Well, it's not warranted that way because it's all 11 guys, you know, so it's, it's a team game, you know, and uh, to me, it, it is because if you don't have all the guys doing the same thing at the same time, the right way, it's hard to execute. It just really is. So um, to me, it's all 11. And again, certainly our quarterback is running the huddle. Um, he's running the plays and he'll be a big uh, instrumental part to our success um, in the future. And, uh, and we're getting him in those situations and he's, and he's doing a good job. I thought the two minute operation was much better. Um, to, me, to me, in terms of the operation of it, you know, it looked crisp, it looked clean, pocket was clean, ball was out on time. Um, when you look at both of those drives, um, and, and to me, it looked a lot better. Do you see him as a guy who can develop, a quarterback who can develop into the guy who wills performance out of his teammates, gets the gets the wide receiver to come back and block and, and knock that ball down, or 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 make the block, or you know, what I'm saying that wills performance. Is that what it takes to to, to turn these losses into victories? Yeah, that's a good point, and I, my, I would say yes. I believe that to be true. Um, I know I know the man inside after being with him for a year and the grit he has and the talent he has, uh, no question he's going to get it done. Okay, so that's Matt Eberflus talking about Justin Fields and how he finishes games and asked by Mark Potash. Dan, I, I thought that he essentially, I don't want to say he put it on the quarterback's shoulders. He kind of, Flusy didn't say a ton on Monday, but I, but I do think that he was at least understood that it does fall on the quarterback, and it's, he implied that the quarterback gets an inordinate amount of praise yeah. and then criticism as well. But what he left me guessing or wondering was, where does he fall on that? Does he think that's fair or unfair? I understand that he accepts that as the reality, but I still didn't come away from his answer thinking that I knew any better what he thought about what happened on Sunday. No, I, listen, I think he thinks it's fair. I think he thinks that it's a step in Justin's development that needs to be taken, hopefully sooner rather than later, and that it's something that he will and uh, can and will learn to do. I think that's Matt Eberflus's vision, is that he's seen enough from Justin the person, Justin the competitor, to believe that this hurdle will eventually be cleared, but it hasn't been cleared yet. And yes, a quarterback gets an inordinate amount of praise and an inordinate amount of criticism. The quarterback also gets paid the most dollars, <laughs> right? Right. 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 And, and, and at some point, Justin Fields is looking to cash in on a on a contract that will will provide him, you know, two hundred fifty million dollars, two hundred eighty million dollars, three hundred million dollars, not that far up the road if he if he plays the way that this organization expects him 
to play. And so it is, it is okay to expect him even with uh, a lack of talent and a lack of depth and a lack of experience to, to try to go win one of these, right? Nobody's asking him to bat 850, right? Let's, let's start by batting 100, right? I, I, I think, I think I, I agree with you, Dan, because I don't think that anybody wants to get in the habit of what I sense around uh, Chicago. Sometimes I don't think you want to lower your bar. Correct. I, I don't think you want to, I think you want to keep it where it is for the Kyler Murray's and the Jalen Hurts and the Patrick Mahomes, frankly. And I think that you want to keep it high. And, and, and I do not fear, but I think that in, in, in doing that, you have to, you know, um, accept some of these things. He's going to fall short at times. And that doesn't, that doesn't mean we're being critical of him. It just means that you want to keep the standards high. The one thing I will say this is that what's happened to, uh, what happened on Sunday is something that has happened too many times this season to the Bears. And, and that's, they've had an individual wide receiver not able to make a play or be part of a play that led directly to a loss. Mm-hmm. And I think that that will change as we move forward or it's got to change because I think the great quarterbacks, we, we know we saw one on Sunday in Aaron Rodgers and what did he, was he known for for so many years? Elevating the play of everybody around him. That's yep. what you want to see from Justin Fields, but you have to be fair in saying that and you have to have receivers who are going to do their jobs when called upon. And frankly, I don't think that has been the case and it's been more acute this season than I expected it to be. Well, and it'll be more exaggerated now without Donnell Mooney for the stretch run. I will just say one last thing on this topic is that, you know who else wants the standard to remain high? The guy in the number one jersey, right. Justin Fields, does. He's not. He's not scared of any of this. He's not scared of these moments. He's not averse to criticism. Right. I sometimes laugh at, at the way that people uh, in social media and in the public forum rally so quickly to Justin's defense. I think if, if Justin was a bystander for some of these conversations, he'd say, "Relax. I'm a big boy. I, I, I've been given a, a a big job and a big responsibility, and I can handle it. So don't be so hypersensitive to every shred of criticism that comes my way. There's more coming because there's there's more growth that needs to be." Made, but there's more praise coming his way too because there was a lot that was good in Sunday's game too and I'm sure we'll get to that here now too. I think that people who have been coached hard at some point in their life athletically or otherwise understand that and I think he accepts that as well. Okay, let's go to on the bright side. What is your on the bright side moment for Justin Fields? I mean, it's simple, David. It, 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 it's it's three moments, to be honest with you. It's the 55-yard touchdown run, the 56-yard pass to Equinemius St. Brown, and the 49-yard pass to Nikhil Harry. Because it's a full day of big play highlight reel stuff that demonstrates three different things, right? Like one of them is a, uh, a brilliant run, which we have now established that Justin Fields is capable of making on an every week basis. The other one's a 56-yard pass in rhythm, on time, right to the spot where his receiver can run under it in stride. And the last one, the Nikhil Harry, is an off-script play where Justin tries to go to a core route, sees that the, the corner is squatting on it, goes to his second read, sees that that's not there, feels pressure, spins out of the pocket, and then goes into a scramble drill and unleashes a ball for a 49-yard gain. It's, it, it is a full complement of big plays that demonstrate a quarterback's growth, maturity, explosiveness, all of it put together. And, and Justin himself said after the game on Sunday, you were in that room, that he felt really comfortable, right? Didn't get sacked a single time on Sunday, David. 
big, big progress, right? Also just felt comfortable going through his progressions and, and, and using the experience that he's gained through his first 12 starts of this season to understand how to glide around the pocket, to surf, to keep his eyes up, to make those things. It's beautiful stuff. It just needs to keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. But there's so much within that performance to be encouraged by that, that it's just, uh, it, you know, I, I understand why the hope tank is, is needling towards full. To his credit, he also praised his offensive line for protecting him and giving him that kind of time. And if we're going to point out when he wasn't so flattering about David Montgomery hitting the hole hard enough or he did mention the wide receiver, St. Brown's shortcomings in that route, we have to be consistent. He did praise his offensive line. It was one of the first things out of his mouth, and they did protect him. My on the bright side, those are good ones because those are chunk plays. Those are explosive plays, and that reflects – why we believe, why Chicago has so much hope about Justin Fields. The other one that that I saw is maybe um, not subtle because it was a good play, but I think it shows the kind of growth that we're looking for. He was injured, so I think he was more careful. He had a 24-yard completion of Cole Komet. It was um, one of those plays where he had to buy time for himself like he's so good at doing. And instead of tucking and running, which I think he might have done had his shoulder been 100%, I think he kept his eyes downfield. Now, eight weeks ago, six weeks ago, I don't know, at the beginning of this season, I don't know that he would have kept his eyes down the field, Dan. I think that he has – that reflects the coaching. It reflects the growth that we're looking for. He kept his eyes downfield. Komet comes open. It's only 24 yards, only 24 yards, but it was a significant gain and I think a real sign of progress in Justin Fields. It's a conversion of third and 10 also, and it's right, a, another sign right. that they're, situationally they're, they're humming. And David, to your point, it's not only buying time, it's climbing through the pocket, right? And I remember early in his first few starts in 2021 as a rookie having discussions with the, the former coaching staff here and saying, man, he's got to stop retreating, right? And, and making those escapes out the back door and, and doing so much retreating. There's room to climb. This is an example of a climb and throw that, that results in a 24-yard gain. And I tweeted in the moment when that throw was made. That's the stuff right there. That's it. And so, yeah, you're right. That is a, a bright side for sure. Okay, what is the oh moment? Is there another one besides the interception? The first. Well, one? It's the, yeah, it's the second interception, right? right? It's the two right. interceptions in the fourth right. quarter, and 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 that one was way worse, right? It's a bad decision and a and a bad throw, and it's just an easy pick for for Keyshawn Dixon, who just undercut the throw on a on a forced pass into congestion, and 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 why it's problematic for me, David, is because now Justin Fields has ten interceptions, and Justin Fields is part of a, a passing offense that has fewer attempts than any team in the NFL, and Justin Fields is interception rate is now up at 4.0, which is a really, really high rate. I went back and looked over the last 10 years. There's only been 17 quarterbacks that have had an interception rate at the end of a season of uh, 3.7 or higher. There's some big names on that list, including Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck and a rookie year, Josh Allen. But there's also the, the Deshaun Kaisers and Christian Ponders and uh, Baker Mayfields and, and other names that you don't really want to be associated with. The other part of this, David, is he now has six interceptions thrown on 65 fourth quarter passing attempts that's a fourth quarter interception rate of 9.2 percent that's something that's got to come down quickly those numbers are a bit i don't want to say troubling but you can't ignore them at least to be taken into consideration when we're uh talking about the complete picture right the complete picture that everybody sometimes wants to see most of the time wants to see all right my uh uh-oh moment has very little to do with maybe Justin Fields' execution, but I did have the feeling you get when you say, uh-oh, like, oh, my God, what are you doing? First quarter. Was it the first drive? It was the first drive, third and one. 
quarterback sneak. <laughs> what are you doing, Luke Getze? You're killing me. I've been talking you up all season long. I love the great Getze. I want him to be here for a long time. I think he's a real practical uh, play caller. I like the way that he has handled this offense, but don't do that. Don't call us quarterback sneak on third and one. Now, it was converted, and he got one yard. But You know what's interesting, David, is it really wasn't converted. If you go back and watch the rewatch, he's about a, a half yard short, and the referees signal first down, and then they spot the ball. And and uh, me and Brad Biggs and Colleen Kane noticed this up in the press box. The chains moved, and then they were like, oh, God. And then they moved the ball up a half yard to where, where, where the first down would have been. It was a bizarre play that no one talked about. Why didn't they challenge that then? Because I thought he got a very generous uh, – uh, spot two and it was like what's what's going on here yeah that, that was strange but yeah it, i mean your point is made on that one um it, it will lead me into my big number if you're ready to go okay there. i'm ready to go to the big number what's the big number so my big number is zero and it's the number of designed runs that were called for justin fields after halftime he had uh, he had three in the game one of them is the the touchdown run he had a, a a scramble on the first drive and the quarterback sneak that you just referenced but after halftime there was only one rush and it was a tuck and run scramble for one yard and so you're looking at a situation now where the bears took their biggest uh wick of their offense the juice in their offense which is justin fields as a runner and they 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 put it on mute for the second half of that game perhaps coincidentally they scored three points in the second half of that game and so i i asked matt eberflus on monday just what he made of that and and you, you know you want to hear him say okay obviously we're trying to keep our our injured quarterback healthy and not expose him to hits that he doesn't need to take at the same time i think this is the direction that they want to take this offense as it continues evolving and realizing that that uh that springboard and that trampoline they hit coming out of the mini buy in October and used for five or six weeks is not something that can last forever. The bears weren't going to be able to have their quarterback run for 140 yards every week. They weren't going to be able to have their quarterback have 15 carries every week. And so they realized that, that for their long-term growth, they've got to figure out how to do things. And Eberflus said on Monday afternoon, David, that he would prefer it. If Justin's designed runs were coming situationally third down red zone, uh, two minute drill, and, and they were very strategic more than being this every drive staple of what they do. It's going to be really interesting to track that over the final four games of the season. That's interesting. I want to get to that in the next segment. Okay, my big number is five, and that's the number of fourth quarter interceptions Justin Fields now has. It's six now. I'm sorry. I had that wrong yesterday. It is six now. Then my big number is six <laughs> because I think that as it continues to grow – there are extenuating circumstances. I think that you have to take into consideration that whether it's Amir Smith-Marset or Ekamanemius St. Brown or, frankly, Darnell Mooney against the Commanders or Dante Pettis against fill-in-the-blank, he has not had a receiving core that's going to help him out, that's going to make a play to prevent maybe something from happening or whatever, but six fourth-quarter interceptions in 13 games for a quarterback who is developing – is too many. That's 12 not games. in 12 games because he missed one. You're right. So that's one every two games. And I, and I just don't think that you can ignore that. It remains a box that's unchecked. You want it to get better. That's not saying it won't. I expect that it could, and it probably will if they get the talent around him, especially at the wide receiver position. But right now, coming out of 
Another loss to the Green Bay Packers when he threw two in the final three minutes. Six fourth quarter interceptions is the number that is glaring to me. Look, on your way to becoming a star NFL quarterback, you cannot skip checkpoints. You just can't. That's not allowed in this league. And so this is a checkpoint he's got to get over. He's got to take better care of the football in game deciding situations. He's got to lead scoring drives in game deciding situations. The Bears have to put that puzzle together for him by getting him more help. And certainly when you watch other teams around the league and you go, oh, you, you can just throw a ball into the end zone to A.J. Brown and he'll grab it, right? Oh, you can just feed Tyreek Hill on a four-yard pass and he'll go for for 58, right? And so eventually you hope that Justin Fields gets some of that help that that he's entitled to and he probably deserves at this point. Uh, But yeah, the, the quarterback himself has to make sure that he's doing a better job in these moments. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's move on to our next segment that I will call Tank the North. (laughs) Okay, so I think we get it that they're 3-10. and And coming out of Sunday's loss to the Packers, my biggest question about Matt Eberflus, the head coach, and his game day operation was, what in the heck are you doing calling a timeout uh, with 30 seconds to go in the first half and on fourth down and giving the Packers time to regroup? So – I have questions about his game day operation that tend to come up, but let's face it. We don't know a lot about Matt Eberflus still, and he will get largely a pass this year. Yeah. As will Ryan Poles. Yep. But I think that we're, are we setting people up? Are they setting people up for this unrealistic expectation that 2023, they're suddenly going to use that $100 million in cap space and all of this draft capital they have and the growth in Justin Fields and voila, playoff contender. I don't know, Dan. I don't know if it's that easy. That's what it feels like people are setting themselves up for. And I think hopefully we can talk reason into some folks to understand how difficult that is. It's almost as if, David, people think they've been given basically all this money to spend and the doors to the store open and they're the only ones in there, right? And they're the only ones that get an opportunity to get better. They're the only ones that just get the shop off the shelves of the free agency. They're the only ones that get to pick in the draft and that they're just going to hit on every single one of these acquisitions that they make in 2023. It's really interesting you bring up the Matt Eberflus decision at the end of the first half to call that timeout with 23 seconds left, which then allowed the Packers to reset, call a play, and they ended up hitting it for the touchdown, which got him back in the game right before halftime. And I asked Matt Eberflus after the game what was behind that, and he said, I I was trying to force their hand. And in the moment, 
post game, it was like, okay. And then I got home and I'm driving. I'm like, what, what did he mean by that? And I don't think I've ever figured it out. I what do you mean? <laughs> Forced their hand what? And I think it was just a miscalculation and it was a misplay. And it was one of those decisions that in a different season with bigger stakes and a bigger spotlight on things, people would be raving about this until Friday. But instead it's like, oh, well, Justin had a couple huge plays, right? And, and, and had another 50 yard plus touchdown run and, and hope feels much better than, than anxiety. So let's just keep our focus there. To the point about how this sets expectations for next year, it's just like if you are rooting for three and 14 and you think suddenly that there are going to be 40 new players that are all difference makers in this building by the time they report to training camp in in, uh, July, I just don't know what fantasy land that is. And I'm really worried that if the Bears next year at this time are five and eight and they're scuffling a little bit and Justin hasn't cleared some of the hurdles that we're asking him to clear and the coach is still making some odd decisions and the defensive depth isn't there and they're not taking the ball away and the pressure isn't there, the people are going to be in this state of absolute outrage when, in my opinion right now, looking in my crystal ball 12 months down the road, that's probably the likely road we're going to be sitting at in December of 2023. So I think that when Ryan Poles and Matt DeBerflus took over, they had more talent than they do now because they have, for traded, sure. they have traded away a lot of talent. They have kind of thinned through the, or shedded the roster of a lot of the, the bigger salaries. Um, you had fewer questions about the roster, but the biggest one was about the quarterback and you needed that to get answers. So I think you now we fast forward. Here we are the first week in December. I think that you have answered the most difficult question about your roster. You feel good about your quarterback in terms of he's our guy. There really is no departure from that conclusion. He's their guy. And I understand why they would dive into that. But the fact of the matter is, is you're kind of saying, and what I what I think you're saying and we agree on, they have more questions than they did when they got here. And there are more questions throughout the roster at certain positions that are key positions that aren't going to be as easy to answer as this idea about them tanking and rebuilding imply. So what you do is when you get to the off season, you're not necessarily starting over because you have answered the most difficult question, but you've got a long way to go and it's not going to be easy to get there. So I think that we do need to recalibrate at the end of the season and four more games, whatever that means and look at it with, a sober view because I do think that, you know, I, I want to, I would like to see precedent for an NFL team that tanks and then wins. I know they exist in hockey and in baseball and in the NBA even, but this isn't those sports. This is very different. The NFL is unique. Uh, it is, uh, we're addicted to the NFL for a reason. It's different than the other sports. And I just want to see what is the example Where is the model that you're following where you're going to bottom out and then climb back? And, oh, by the way, next season we're in the playoffs. I don't know that that's going to be the case, but I don't know that it isn't. I just I think people need to understand that it's not going to be as easy as it's designed. Oh, by the way, the Lions are suddenly on the come. Right. (laughs) They're getting hot late in the 2022 season and costing themselves draft status. And they'll probably go out and get a new quarterback here at some point. And all of a sudden they're going to have their hope tank filling. And so there's there's other other teams that are going to be trying to to climb the same ladder that you're trying to climb while trying to pull your leg off that same ladder that you're you're trying to climb. I, I, I was I went back and looked at this. 
earlier today because I was curious, because Bill Polian was brought in here as a consultant late last year to advise uh, George McCaskey and Ted Phillips on what to do with their team at the end of the 2021 season. And basically what he identified was that the Bears had only six to eight blue chippers on their roster. And he told George and Ted that you need 10 to 12 to be even uh, thought of as a championship contender, right? So at the time they had six to eight which meant they were four to, to six shy, right, of, of, of being a championship contender. And then they subtracted Khalil Mack, and then they subtracted Robert Quinn, and then they subtracted Roquan Smith, and then they subtracted Allen Robinson. And who are the blue chippers that they've added? Have they added a single blue chip player since they've gotten here? No. Okay. Uh, so now they've set themselves of several blue chip players. You just may, I, I know. And so if we're identifying guys that could potentially be blue chip players, you would say, hopefully Justin becomes that guy. He's not that guy yet. He certainly looks like the guy on the roster that has the most potential to be. Eddie Jackson probably could fit in that list if he's playing the brand of football that he was playing for the first 10 games of this season. He was here. Uh, Both, Both those guys were here. Right. So that's my point. So at what point do you get eight to nine to 10 other ones rolling through your door in one offseason? This is going to take years plural to get the, the, the talent replenishment and the depth replenishment and the playmaking replenishment that you need to be taken seriously uh, in this business. And I just, I, I think that that fields fever has been so, so intense for so many people that they are, are, you know, unknowingly setting themselves up for a really, really hard fall in 2023 when expectations aren't met. And as I've said a couple of times, well, what does that mean then? If those expectations aren't met, it's not like the people inside this building are immune to what happens in the outside world. All of a sudden there, there, there becomes this tension and this strain in the outside world that, that, ups the the intensity on what you're trying to build. And that's going to be felt by Justin Fields. It's going to be felt by Ryan Poles. It's going to be felt by Matty Berflus. It's going to be felt by the leaders of this football team. And so it's just like, it's really interesting to see how the acceptance of failure in 2022 is so just in conflict with this belief that 2023 is going to be some dream rise. I, I don't think that it's impossible, but I don't think it's likely. I think in the NFL, anything is possible. Of course. Because they have a, a player that, you know, can can change the game on any given snap. But I do think that what you what, what I anticipate is they're going to go into the offseason and they're going to focus heavily on giving Justin Fields the weapons that he needs to to take that next step in his game. And what's going to happen, I, I, I just – predict i guess as we sit here in the first week of december that the defense is going to continue to be somewhat neglected perhaps and they're going to try to maybe um focus on the offense in spite of the glaring defensive need on the front seven and i just think you're going to end up with a with a football team that's very exciting to watch but with a defense that can't stop anybody and maybe that's what they want and maybe that's too early no. to project, but I, I don't know if you're going to win a championship that way. You might win a lot of more um, fans that way because it reflects more more the the modern NFL. But I, I don't know. I, I always believe you build the, you build a football team from the football out, and I just don't know if the Bears are going to approach it that way because I don't know that we know Ryan Poles well enough to predict. Yeah, no, but I do think that we know Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus well enough to know that they won't let defense become an afterthought. I do think that that Ryan Poles is sharp enough to understand that. I hope you're right. 
in the trenches is something that he has to prioritize as a former offensive line. He knows what that battle up front means to the success of football teams. And so I think they will uh, put a, a priority on, on, on getting some real difference makers in the middle of their defensive line, right. And, and trying to make sure that happens and, and, and figure out where they go. Uh, it's just, it's going to be fascinating because there's so much heavy lifting to be done in the offseason of 2023 for you and I, this is tremendous stuff because there have been a lot of off seasons that are boring, this one is going to have people talking from the day the season ends until the day that the draft is over. And then for, for two months beyond who they pick in the draft, because there's so much intrigue about who all these new faces are going to be on this roster and who these potential, uh, you know, firework playmaking sparks are going to be for this team. It's going to be, it's going to be a really fun off season in a lot of ways. And I'm actually looking forward to digging in on draft prospects and free agency options and figuring out what is practical, what is reasonable, and then trying for our audience, anyway really smart audience the smartest bears podcast audience in the business as you know uh just setting them up for to have realistic expectations of where this thing should head last thing along those lines before we move on i think everybody should go read brad biggs and the 10 thoughts in the chicagotribune.com because i know it's the first week in december but he raised a very interesting point if you do pay a col- pay attention to college football and I, and i think most of our audience probably does i know you do i know we both do this is not the year where there's going to be necessarily a run on quarterbacks in the top 10 this is not a year that it appears as we sit here right now where there's going to be a plethora of choices at the position this isn't 2017 this isn't 2021 this is going to be 2023 and there's going to be three guys that may be top 10 caliber but i don't know besides bryce young if there's a consensus that The other two potential top 10 guys are without flaws or potential flaws and won't take some time. How does that affect the Bears? Well, if you're in the top five, as it appears the Bears will, the idea was, the assumption is, well, you know, they're going to be able to, to, to hold an auction for that number two pick and get whatever the Dolphins got or get whatever the Niners got. I think that Brad addresses this, and he talks to a lot of people around the league, as you know, I don't know that that's a given. So it's very conceivable that all this hand-wringing about whether the Bears are second or fifth or 11th or sixth or wherever, that they may stand pat after all because the quarterback group isn't special and they may end up going after a guy like Jalen Carter or Will Anderson, who may be great defensive rookies next year. And we'll be talking about them a year from now, like, God, I'm so glad they got him. But – that means they kept the pick. And then all this other uh, conversation about, well, they need to stay put so they can have a get a king's ransom for that pick makes it kind of a moot point at that point. So I think it's something to keep an eye on. Don't forget also that their number two pick in the second round, which is actually the number one pick equivalent because the Dolphins don't have a first round pick this year. And number two in the second round is number 33 overall belongs to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So they won't even have that pick to make. They're going to have to wait for the Ravens' second-round pick to choose in round two. Uh, and, that, yeah, so Chase Claypool, pressure's on you, buddy, to to, to, to start uh, bring, bringing that uh, return on investment along sooner rather than later as well. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot ahead of this team. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons to feel hopeful about where Justin Fields has gone this season and where he can go in the future. And then it's very, very reasonable to say, 
holy moly, look at what all they have to do. I'll tell you this, that when we get a breather, uh, when the season ends, there's going to be some fun exercises for us to go through as we look at drafts historically and, and can give our audience some indications on, on why the hand wringing and, and you know, hair pulling over where you pick in the draft ultimately five years, 10 years down the road doesn't necessarily turn into what true high level championship success looks like. I got a question for you on Chase Claypool. We'll get to in our two minute drill. The two minute drill. The two minute drill. All right, let's start there. Chase Claypool. He caught five passes. I don't think they were um, necessarily. They're a couple downfield. I think they can find different ways to use him. I'm going to reserve judgment, as I have said. Wanted to ask you about the play where he fumbled and then was injured. I saw the play as it happened and watched it on television in in the press box, and it appeared to me like he was grimacing before he fumbled, and then the ball was dislodged. Patrick Manley, who doesn't throw around, you know, things lightly, and he's he's the most tenured bear ever, he said on the postgame on 670, the score suggested, wondered aloud, whether or not Chase Claypool's injury was exacerbated by the fact that he fumbled and that maybe it was exaggerated a tad because he had had a takeaway and one was connected to the other. He did return to the game, so I didn't know quite how to answer that when it was posed to me on the morning show, on the Molly Haw show on Monday morning. What do you think about that? Was there any conversation about Chase Claypool's health and injury being related to the fumble? No, there was no conversation on that. I have a hard time uh, levying that level of accusation against a guy without more of a track record of knowing. Uh, I, I do know that, you know, there's some worry from from folks that were close to the Steelers organization, people that know that program very well, that that Claypool may have some diva qualities. I haven't seen any of it since he's gotten here. It's only been a, a little more than a month now, I think. And and, and so uh, we'll keep tabs on it. I, I, I you know, I, it's, it, that seems harsh. And it seems particularly harsh, as you mentioned, from Patrick Manley, who's not a, a an extreme take artist by any stretch of the imagination, one of the most reasoned voices and, yes. and, and articulate and, and intelligent intelligent football analysts that, that we have around. I actually have him on a, a, a list of, of guys to get on this, this program at some point to talk about a lot of different topics, but uh, interesting, interesting. He's probably uh, also seen his share of guys, yeah. you know, milking injuries. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't want to dismiss it either because nobody has seen more Bears football up close and personal than Patrick Manley. From the jury box, I'm just sitting here and saying, give me more evidence before I before I have to go into the, the deliberation room. Okay, let me ask you about Alex Leatherwood. Ten snaps. Tom Thayer went through those ten snaps this <laughs> morning on the Mullion Haw Show like he had committed them to memory. Actually, and even Matt Eberflus mentioned this, they were ten pretty good snaps, Dan. In the final four games, I guess we are wondering, a lot of people curious about whether or not even the Riley Reef is a dependable right tackle. Will we see more of Alex Leatherwood because he does represent the future? We will see more of Alex Leatherwood. Matty Rufloos said on Monday afternoon that at the very least on a rotational basis, they're going to keep mixing Alex Leatherwood in. I understand the hesitance to give him a full-time role at this point just because of what we've talked about all year long about prioritizing Justin's development and making sure you've got the best five in front of him and making sure that he's able to continue his growth. Uh, But obviously they saw enough to keep him in this rotational role going forward. They're going to face some really good defenses coming out of the bye with the Eagles and the Bills uh, to to close up 2020. 
2022 calendar year. And so, uh, look, there's going to be some tests ahead for this group. And, and Alex Leatherwood's going to have to take a few tests of his own and we'll continue to assess. And hopefully we have more than 10 snaps when we get to uh, locker cleanout day in the middle of January. Jalen Johnson before taking off for the week <laughs> that uh, the Bears players have the week off uh, because of the CBA and they don't play again till they uh, till the Eagles game and the reconvene next week, Dan. But Jalen Johnson was uh, kind enough to take some time to stop by, talk to reporters at Hallis Hall. You were there. Very interesting session with Jalen Johnson. Yeah, we covered a lot of ground with Jalen, which you usually do. And, you know, we talked on this podcast last month about how uh, he's become one of my favorite guys in this locker room because he's very forthright. He's engaged. He's really direct. He's an expert in real talk. And it's why I voted him last year as my 2021 Jeff Dickerson, good guy award winner, and he will be a nominee in 2022. I promise you that. Uh, but the, the, the fact that he can be so forthright and forward with how he feels about his team, how he feels about his own play, it's really refreshing. And, it, and, and one of the topics that he got into today with Mark Potash was whether he feels like he's having a, a Pro Bowl caliber season. Aaron Rodgers sort of uh, teased this a little bit on Sunday afternoon, actually earlier in the week before they even played the Bears, and saying that he really believes that Jalen is one of the premier corners in this league league. That's high praise coming from a four-time MVP who has obviously uh, over the last couple of years gotten to know who Jalen is as a player guarding Devontae Adams and and, and trying to, to find answers against him. And, and so for Rodgers to say that, it, it, it brings up a topic, right? And so Jalen and Mark Potash went back and forth in terms of what is a Pro Bowl player? Are you a Pro Bowl player? How do you sort of measure what your success is? Here's that exchange because it was pretty cool. You've had a Pro Bowl season, and do you think it's difficult to get that recognition, A, when you don't have the picks, and B, when you're on a 3-10 and 10 team? I'm going to say no in the fact of I feel like Pro Bowl comes from popularity, um, and I feel like popularity comes from making highlight plays, and I, don't, I wouldn't feel that I've had enough highlight plays to be able to say, oh, like I'm a Pro Bowl caliber, or like I deserve the Pro Bowl. I think I'm a Pro Bowl caliber person or player, hell yeah. But I feel like it comes with, like you said, the picks. The picks are looked at as highlight plays. No matter if it's a tip pick, you were beat on a play, the dude falls to the ground, ball pops up, you get two or three of those. Oh, yeah, he's a good guy. He got three picks. Like, you were beat. But it's like, for me, it's like I haven't been in those predicaments. I haven't gotten any tip picks. I haven't got all those opportunities that I feel like a lot of people get in the league. Um, and I feel like also, too, being on – in a sense of losing team people all like look down on everything that you do individually it's just kind of oh the bears are just a shit show or the bears are this the bears are that so it's like it's hard to gain popularity votes when there's so much negativity surrounding from the outside in is there a measurement for your success i mean is there is there some is there a way to quantify what you've done because you don't get thrown at a lot and you know it's hard to to get a lot of stats but is there is there a way is there anything you use? I don't even know if you look at numbers, but is there anything you look at that quantifies and tells you what kind of year you've had? I'm gonna say the quote from Aaron Rodgers. I would say that's how I get I take pride in stuff like that. I take pride in like I play the game with a lot of pride and respect and I feel like getting the interceptions isn't the only way to impact the game, isn't the only way to get respect, isn't the only way to um, I would say be, like as he said, a premier player at the end of the day. And I feel like your peers validate you, not not the media, not with the outside people looking in. I feel like at the end of the day, everybody goes into the game, and I feel like they, they respect me coming into that game, and they respect me leaving that game as well based on what I put on film, based on my 
abilities, but I feel like at the end of the day, it's not, to me, it's not about the popularity. It's about what my peers believe of me on my team and the receivers and quarterbacks and people on the offensive side that I play against. Good answer. I think it was a really good answer, Dan. I also find it interesting that Matt Eberflus didn't necessarily uh, play along. He said that you get to the Pro Bowl, you get that kind of recognition when you're on a good unit. Yeah. And when you have the stats to back it up, he didn't yeah. necessarily go out of his way to say Jalen Johnson is a pro bowler despite not having those things. He basically put the bar there and dared him to meet it probably. I, I agree with, with both of what those guys said. I don't, I don't think Jalen has done enough production-wise to to be uh, in that well, he's, he belongs in the conversation, but he doesn't belong in that fraternity just yet. And hopefully as the Bears get better, as Kyler Gordon gets better and more balls are thrown at Jalen Johnson because teams are afraid to throw at Kyler Gordon also, he gets some production. And then the pass rush gets better and more balls come out and he gets some production. And all those things go hand in hand and we'll see where they take it. One of the subtly funny moments of that soundbite that we just played was when Jalen Johnson said, oh, people look at it and say, oh, the Bears are a bleep show. You hear in the background really quickly. Okay, two more for Jalen. <laughs> like <laughs> PR staff. Getting yeah. right to the cutting right to the chase and trying to get that thing over with as soon as possible before he said too much. Uh, I hope Jalen has a tremendous buy in Fresno, California, having daddy daughter time as he said he was going to have, and he's one of those guys that has earned it through the work that he's put in this year. And thank you to Mark Potash from the Sun Times for providing those questions. I'm glad to see Potsy asking better questions at press conference than he does on Twitter. That is very good to see. So thank you. Great to Mark point. Potash. Great point, David. That's he's an avid point. listener to this podcast, it's so he will yeah. he will get the uh, he will get. Get the passive aggressive uh, <laughs> advice there that we just gave him. We love we love Posse <laughs> on this podcast. Anything else that we missed during a busy day at House Hall? No, we've got uh, one more podcast later in the week, and then we get a bye weekend. And 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 you believe me, I'm going to delete Twitter off my phone for a Excellent. few days, and 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 maybe I'm going to watch a little NFL action with my son at Buffalo Wild Wings on Sunday, and and we'll just kind of live the uh, the football existence that most of the world lives for a weekend. That's great. We will be back on Friday morning with our regularly scheduled pod. We'll find ways to address things we didn't address today on our podcast with the Bears at 3-10. and 10. Nobody in the NFL has more losses than the Bears. The Texans right there with them. They just have uh, one fewer victory. So, worst team in the NFC, the second worst in the NFL. Hello, Tank the North. So, for the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts, I'm David Haw, along with Dan Weeder. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you Friday. Great talk. See you out there.